0: Well, good morning again. So one day we will rise and all the promises will be true and there'll be no more sorrow and there'll be no more sickness and there'll be no more death. We won't even need a sun anymore because the Lamb, the Son of God, will be the light of the city. But it's not yet. Just a few more weary days and then, right? will fly away And so we look forward with anticipation We look forward with hope We look forward with all the strength that it comes with that Because the promises are true And they'll be made true forever And that gives us hope to endure today When it's not the way it's supposed to be When the process of redemption Is still working out in our own lives And it's still working out through a fractured and broken world We have hope to endure All that we might face in this life Because the spirit within us has sealed us and because the work of redemption is accomplished, and because there's promises, one day we'll rise. And it'll all be gloriously okay forever. Let's pray. So Father, thank you that our salvation isn't just a past thing, and thank you that it's not. We're just waiting for some future God that it sustains us today. It sustains us, Father, through every diagnosis. It sustains us, Father, for every weakness and failure, it sustains us um, for walking through a broken world and just weeping for those around us whose lives are breaking, their homes are breaking, their relationships are breaking, Father. Um, that we're able to face um, just natural disasters, God, where people lose everything and there's a hope that can secure them. There's a hope that we can look for because it's not going to always be this way. It hasn't always been this way, Father. It won't always be this way. We can trust you're working out this redemption. We can trust you're working out putting the broken pieces back together. And we can go be part of that. I ask you desperately that we at Fletcher will be part of that. That we will be people who go into daily life and we put the broken pieces of the world around us back together. And that we are people who would let the work of the Father and the work of the Son and the work of the Spirit put the broken pieces of our own lives back together. To be this glorious picture of your redemption, this glorious picture of the grace that is ours in Christ, the promises that are ours. And so, Father, I pray you would march out that work in our lives just like you promised. You're faithful to begin a good work, and you're faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. And I pray you'd walk it out of our lives into the world around us. pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're continuing on in Ephesians. Um, we covered the first little section of Ephesians a couple weeks ago. Um, and we looked at that, that first part. Well, actually, as we looked at it overall, it's about God redeeming a diverse people and forming them into this new family called the church. And he forms this new family called called the church for the sake of his glory. And so for the praise of his glory, so that his glory will unendingly be praised by all people. He has put a bunch of really different, diverse people into this one new family, the church. A couple weeks ago, we looked at verses 3 through 6, somewhere in there. And it was this, this eruption of spontaneous praise out of Paul's life. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praised be, well spoken of, praise God. And then he goes through this whole section here, which is, why should my soul bless God? What about God and what has he done and what has he accomplished that my soul should erupt in praise, not just, yeah, praise God, let me say it with my lips, but that my my soul should actually rejoice in my God. My soul should actually praise God because I'm reading these verses right here. That's the purpose. That's that's why this is in the text. It's not only to be dissected. It's to be dissected to the purpose that my soul is inflamed with deeper affections for Christ because I have done this. That my soul actually blesses God, not just my lips actually bless God. And so in the first installment, we talked about uh, the Father. We're praising the Father because he adopts us and he declares us Holy. And so the first work of redemption is the work of the father and the work of the father is to choose us to be No defects to choose us and declare us to be holy And then the work of the father to say you are mine You're adopted. You're my dearly loved child and you are my dearly loved children as the church We're going to take the next step today. God will restore all things for the praise of his glory And so we go from the work of the father to the work of the son and the work of the son is the son has accomplished the work of redemption for believers And the creation. The sun has accomplished the work of redemption for believers and for the creation. I don't know if you remember it. A couple weeks ago, a Portuguese man of war washed up on Tybee. I'm not going back to that beach, man. Those things will tear you up. Alligators bite people, snakes bite people, gnats swarm around us. I got to go a whole week with not one gnat in my ear, and I had some company. You know, so I stay out in the sun too long, I get burned. Relationships around us are fractured. Divorces happen. Relationships break. Churches split. What does all this have in common? The world is a broken place. And the world is filled with broken people. That's the commonality. Whether it's the creation attacking us, whether it's relationships fractures, and certainly our relationship to God, it is all broken. The peace of the world that God created to be very good has shattered into millions of broken pieces. And so man is filled with strife and man is filled with chaos. And by the way, this didn't start two or three election cycles ago. It's been since the fall that chaos and strife and shattered brokenness is all around us. But that's not the end of the story. The son is working out this gospel. The son has given us this gospel. And what this gospel does is it takes all these shards and pieces and begins to put them back together into something beautiful. That's what redemption does. It takes what is broken and it makes it whole. It takes what is shattered and seems like it can never be good again and never be beautiful again. And it creates a beauty that's deeper than we could have ever imagined it being. That's what the son's up to. That's what he's up to in your life. That's what he's up to in your family. That's what he's up to in the church. That's what he's up to in the world that surrounds us. And so the only question will be, as those who have this redemption, will we walk out into a broken world and just take the little pieces God puts in our hand and put those pieces back together? The son is accomplishing the work of redemption. It's not just us as believers. It's everything that broke with the fall. He's bringing us back to the garden. So let's look at it. As we go into the text, Ephesians 1, 7 through 14. He talks about in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. It's a plan for the fullness of time to unite All things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, in him we have obtained an inheritance or in him we have been made a heritage, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we've seen the Father's work. He adopts. We've seen the Father's work. He declares holy. Now we see the Son's work, this work of redemption. In him we have redemption. And so we use that word a lot in church. What does it mean? Well, the word redemption means to set free by paying a price. And so what Jesus has done in him, in Jesus, and notice that's a theme throughout the text, in Christ, all the benefits of salvation are ours. And in Christ only are all the benefits of salvation are ours. In verse 3, in verse 4, in verse 7, in verse 11, in verse 13, in him, in Christ, in him, in Christ, everything that the Father has done and everything that the Son has done and everything the Spirit has done, everything that involves redemption is yours and it's mine Only in him In relationship to him in abiding in him being your life being taken and planted in the middle of jesus's life All the benefits of redemption come to you from being planted in the middle of jesus In him is redemption in him is the price paid to set you free And so what is it? I have been enslaved To sin, I've been enslaved to Satan. I I belong to him. I'm a son of disobedience. I'm separated from the life that is in God. And I am enslaved. That's the word the Bible uses. That I'm enslaved to him. I'm chained to him. I can't break free from the slave master of sin. I can't set myself free from the slave master who is Satan. And he owns me until a price is paid. And the price was the death and the blood of the Son of God to set me free. In Jesus is my redemption. In Jesus is the price paid to set me free. And don't think of it as God is paying himself back with his son and the son is just some poor bystander that had no say in the matter. The counsel of the Trinity from all eternity, the son joyfully and willingly said, Father, I'll do it for all eternity. The son, yes, yes. I will be the price of redemption for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. It was not God dragging his son to throw him on the cross. It was the glorious counsel of the Trinity that said, this is what it will take for redemption. This is what it will take to show the glory of our grace. This is what we will all willingly, joyfully do to set people free who will sin that hadn't even been created yet. In him is our redemption through his blood Through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, through the brutal death of Jesus, through the sinless life of Jesus, through the death of Jesus and the burial of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, through his blood, we have this redemption. What is the price? The price is his death. The price is his blood poured out for us. Because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. In him is this redemption. This redemption's price is the blood of Jesus The precious blood of a lamb without spot or blemish. This precious blood of the Son of God. In Him we have redemption through His blood. What is purchased for us? The forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. You think about all the benefits of the blood of Jesus that are offered to us. Whether it be adoption. Or whether it be justification. Or whether it be... um, Forgiveness or all the benefits of the gospel and he only lists one Because that one is the key to all the others being true for us. And what is the one he mentions? Forgiveness What is it that separates you from God your trespasses? What is it that breaks the world around you sin? sin what is it that alienates you from the life of God? Sin. What is it that keeps you from access to God? Sin. What is it that will keep you from heaven forever? Sin. And so, what is the benefit of salvation that must be praised, that is opened up to us? Through His blood. The one He chooses to mention is the forgiveness of our sins. What is it that Jesus killed on the cross? Our sin. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. And that's according to the riches of his grace. The word riches is just plentiful, treasuring, riches, limitless supply. So what is the means of our forgiveness? His grace. And so you think about it, as you go in, a lost person whose eyes get opened by the spirit and the gospel, and you take and you drink deeply of God's grace to save you. It's like taking a thimble in the ocean. You don't deplete the grace of God an ounce. You don't make God's grace any less. You don't wear it out. And then as you go through the Christian life and you sin daily, a lot. And you ask forgiveness a lot. And God's grace washes your sins away day after day. You take a thimble of the grace of God. And it doesn't deplete the plentiful supply. It doesn't deplete the lavish, extravagant, overwhelming grace of God. And so I don't want you to think about God's grace like he is some miser. And he's like, okay, I'm, I've got this grace, but as long as you don't mess up too bad, I'll give it to you. As long as you don't fail too big, I'll give you Grace. God is not miserly. He is rich in His grace. He lavishes beyond your need. He is abundant in His grace to you. And so it's not just as long as I don't mess up too bad, God will love me. As long as I don't mess up too bad, God will forgive me. As long as I don't mess up too bad or do anything really big, His grace will be sufficient for me. You can drink from your greatest failure that you could ever possibly think of or ever possibly have done. And you can take as big a sip of grace as you could possibly take to cover that sin. And it won't have depleted the grace of God for your life and for the lives of the world one drop. Because the infinite glory of God in the first section is the glory of his gracious character that is lavish and abundant and cannot be worn out. So don't think about God's grace like some miser. Don't think about the Christian life like you're trying to please some unpleasable God. In love, he adopts. In love, he lavishes grace on you. Through the blood of his son, he lavishes grace on you. Drink of that grace. Drink of that grace for everything, every failure. It's so lavish. In him, is redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, extravagant, abundant, overwhelmingly poured out on us. And one of the expressions of that grace in your life and mine is wisdom and insight. And so he gives us this, this grace, and then through this grace he gives us this wisdom. And so as you think about wisdom and you think about insight, wisdom is kind of the art and skill of doing life God's way. It's like, how do I navigate a really broken world where black and white turn to gray a whole lot? How do I, how do I walk God's ways through the real world that is what it is? That's wisdom. And then inside is to see beyond the surface. It's to see deeper into the thing. And so what does grace do for our life practically? One of the things grace does for our life practically is this. It takes the gospel and then gives us the ability to look at life and to look at the messiness of life and look at the grayness of life and live out the gospel in the real world. And so wisdom and insight is taking the grace of God and the grace of the gospel and then being able to actually live it out in your daily life, to actually apply it to the really weird, you know, no clear way to walk through it stuff of life. Wisdom and insight. And then he's made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. And so a mystery, we're going to cover it a lot more in chapter 3, so just real briefly. A mystery is something that in the past was kind of hidden from us. But in in the present, or especially in the work of Jesus, it has been fully revealed. And so we kind of have shadows in the Old Testament of the mystery. But when when Christ comes, we get this full HD version of the mystery. We get to understand what it is. And so God, through his grace, has given us this understanding of his mystery. He's made known the, the mystery of his will, the purpose that he set forth in Christ. And what is that? What is the purpose me and Jesus, I can be saved, that's part of it, to unite all things in him, whether things in heaven or things on earth. You see, the fall did not just break our relationship with God. The fall, did not just, the fall alone did not just break my personal relationship to God, did it? It broke my relationship with my spouse. It broke my relationship with other people. It broke uh, my relationship with the creation. And now the creation fears me or the creation um, runs for me or the creation attacks me. It broke everything. And so the Hebrew word shalom is the word for peace. And it's the word that means wholeness. And so it's everything being in place the way it's supposed to be. And when the fall happened, the shalom, the wholeness of the universe, split into millions of pieces. And Jesus is taking those pieces and reuniting them, bringing them back into harmony, bringing them back the way they're supposed to be until one glorious day he steps out of heaven with a trumpet sound and then everything's the way it's supposed to be in an instant. But until that day, the gospel is putting the pieces back together. Until that day, the gospel is reuniting what has been fractured and bringing back into harmony what is in chaos. And that's the work of the gospel. That's the work of the gospel in your life, starting with God. But that's also the work of the gospel in your life with your spouse. That's also the work of the gospel in your life and your kids. It's also the work of the gospel in your life and the people that fill this church with you. It's also the work of the gospel in your life as you walk out into a world and start saying, here's the place God's given me. Here are the people God's given me to work with. Here's the stuff around me that's not the way it's supposed to be. And you start putting the puzzle back together to look like Jesus again. He's uniting all things and he's called a people to be part of that uniting work so that the shalom, the wholeness of the universe is restored until one day it's restored. He wants to unite all things. That's the plan. That's the The purpose that he set forth in Christ, a plan for the fullness of times. To reunite everything back to the way it's supposed to be. And so we have that in verse 10. All things are being reconciled. We have in verse 11 a special way in which you are being reconciled. A special way in which we are being reunited. Because as believers there is this special place of reuniting that we have that the the other people of the world will never have. And so he does this big cosmic plan of the gospel to, to put the world right. And then he comes to you and to me. And so let's look at it. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. Translators really struggle with this phrase. And it's probably got a note in your Bible if your Bible has such things. Is that it can be translated multiple ways. The way that I think is best in context and after studying it is in him, he has made us a heritage Meaning, it is not our future inheritance he's talking about here. That's a few verses later. In this verse, he is talking about you and I are the inheritance of God. You and I are the heritage, the the family line that follows after God because of the work of his son. In him, you were made a heritage. In him, you were made this special possession of God. In him, you were made his namesake. And that's what he has done. And so, he's reuniting the world. He's putting the pieces back together, and then in you and I especially, he has this heritage. He has this new namesake, this new possession that is us. And this was predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. To predestine is to mark something out ahead of time. To mark out its boundaries before. And so he has marked out a heritage for himself. He has declared before anything ever happened in the world, I will have a church. Before anything ever happened in the world, I will have people. They'll be mine. They'll be my possession. They'll be my heritage. And so God has predestined that he would have a church. He has predestined that he would have a people that called his name and believed through his son and were redeemed. In him we have this. But notice this. It's according to the counsel of his will. The word "counsel" is the word of wise deliberation, and so I don't know how wise it is. But occasionally, you'll put a president at a table, and all the cabinet will sit around the table with him. And again, bad example, but it's the human example we have. I don't know how much wisdom comes out of that table. For any of them. I'm not just talking about this one. So they sit around the table and they deliberate an issue. They figure out how do we handle this major issue facing the country. And they put all the best minds, well, they put all the minds that are in the cabinet together. And the president sits there and they deliberate how to solve problems. Well, what is truly and infinitely wise, God the Trinity sits down together when they talk about the work of redemption and they talk about predestining a, ch- destining a church and when they talk about predestining people for Himself, they sat down in council with the Trinity and in wisdom they decided how this would play out. And so it is according to the deliberation, the wise counsel of His will. And so what it it keeps us from is when we look at salvation from the side of choosing or election, which I know it scares us. Y'all going to be all right. When we look at it from God's perspective and we see that, what we know is it's not arbitrary. It's not some flippant thing. Ah, Yeah, you. Not you. No. As if some whimsical, God's just in a mood today and it's, you know, I'm sorry, you can't have it. It is the deliberate, wise counsel of the Trinity that works this plan out. It is the deliberate wisdom of an infinitely wise God that works it out. And so we can say it's not whimsical. But we can also say on the other side, you don't get to obligate God to your salvation. Like I'm going to do the right work or say the right things and God has to come get me. So we've got to balance it on those two sides. But the last thing we can say as we look at this passage, because we're going to get the counterbalancing in just a few verses. The last thing we can say is that whatever God's purposes are and however this works out, it is done from the infinite grace of God and love of God. And so whatever, however this thing works out with predestination, it is an expression of the grace of God. The God whose glorious grace will be praised, it's expressed through that. The God who in love does this is what expresses. So when you think about God, if there's any view you have of theology that robs him of love and that robs him of a gracious character that that is a huge part of the definition of who God is, then you have missed it. In love, he does this. By the overflow of this unlimited grace, he does this work. And so that's kind of how we'll walk through that. There's a counterbalancing point in the next one. As we look at it, that kind of makes this thing a debate. But look at this. So that we were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Why does he save anybody? Why does redemption through his blood happen? Why a cross and a death and a resurrection and glory? Why? Why does he adopt? Why does he declare holy? Why? For the praise of his glory. God, when he saves people, is to show his glory, to have his glory praised, to have his glory known, to have his glory enjoyed. God is about God and because he's about God, he then becomes about People. And so His glory attaches to our good in ways that can't be separated. But he, it is about Him. And let's don't miss that. God is about God. We're about God. Our lives are about God. It is to the praise of His glory that you exist. It is to the praise of His glory that you are saved. He formed a people. Why did He form a people? For His own glory. And so we exist for God. We are about God. God is about God. The plan of redemption is about God. It is for the display of His greatness. It is for the display of His worth. It's for the display of His majesty. It's for a display of His perfections. That's why there's a salvation at all. And that's what God was thinking when He was on the cross. This will result in endless eternal praises to us, the Trinity. That's what he was thinking. This will result in a never-ending display of our worth and our greatness. This will show us in ways that condemnation, though it shows our glory, will never show as brightly as our grace will show our glory. And that's why there's a cross. That's why there's a salvation. For the praise of the glory of God, so that when you hope, that has put your confidence, not your wishful thinking, in the promises of God through Jesus... That's what we know is the gospel when you put your confidence in the gospel and all of its promises Your life will be for the praise of his glory And in chapter two, it'll be for eternity to display the kindness of god and the glory of god And so As we wrap up the work of the son the world is broken The world is jacked up. Absolutely Our lives get rocked sometimes Our lives get flipped upside down sometimes. Yes. And it's painful. And we don't want to dismiss pain as if it's not real. Oh, just think of heaven. You see, God's grace is not just some, you know, utopia that we think about. God's grace is to sustain us for the real, broken, hard stuff of life. Through the real brokenness of a real world that's really hard. That's what god's grace is sufficient for and so what do we know what's the hope that we can cling to Is that by the gospel God is putting the pieces back together He's putting the pieces of your life back together. He is bringing you back to the garden Did you know the story begins with a garden and it ends with a garden? He is going to continue to put the pieces of your life back together in a way that looks like jesus more and more Until he puts you back in a garden where there will be one tree this time, not two. And this tree will bear a different fruit in every season. And this tree will have a a river flowing out of it. And we get to go live there forever. That's the hope. Is that the gospel is restoring things in your life. And the gospel wants to use you to go restore things in the world. And so please, embrace your individual salvation. It's an amazing thing. But don't let the grace of God stop with your individual salvation. Let it put you into this community called the church. It did already, but go live like this is your family. Go live like this is your family. And then don't stop there. Let's together as a family, go out and start putting the pieces of the world back together. We don't get all the pieces. That's God's, but he gives us piece by piece. And it's our task. It's our mission of declaring Jesus and showing Jesus that we're going to be people who bring flourishing back and put pieces back so that the world begins to look like Jesus the way it's supposed to. One piece at a time. The Son redeems. The Spirit has sealed believers as a guarantee of our eternal inheritance. The Spirit has sealed believers as the guarantee of our eternal inheritance. So right after Amy and I got married, uh, I sold real estate for a few years. And man, when you're hungry, real estate's a bad business to be in. Because right? you don't get paid until they close. And so, man, it's a, it's a pain, you know. No buyers come, and so the seller's mad at you as if you get to control who comes and sees the house, or you do everything you're supposed to do, but they want more money than it's worth. I mean, people are just people, no matter what environment you get them in. And when it comes to money, people are really people. But one of the things, a buyer would come, and he'd give you a contract, and when he gives you a contract, he gives a check to the agent. And it's an earnest money check. And he says, I pledge when the terms and conditions are met, I will fulfill my obligations to buy this house. And I'm going to give you enough money that if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, it will be painful. It's an earnest money check. And so once you've met the terms and the conditions and the inspections and all that stuff that just has to happen, that money goes hard. Meaning if anything happens where the sale doesn't go through, the seller gets the money because a pledge was made and it hadn't been fulfilled. When we look at this text, what we're seeing is that the Holy Spirit is God's earnest money for our salvation. It is a check placed inside of us to say, I will finish what I started in your salvation. It's a pledge to say, I will get you to eternity and I will keep you for eternity. I will, it, it's this first payment that guarantees all the rest of the payments will be made. And so the Spirit becomes that in our life. He's the promise of that. And I know we're good Baptists, so we're not supposed to talk about the Holy Spirit too much. Y'all get a little scared of him. Y'all are afraid it might get crazy if the Holy Spirit shows up. Well, he's already showed up and he formed a church. He already lives inside of you. Do you not know you're a dwelling place, a temple of God by the Holy Spirit? Do you not know we as a church are a dwelling place, a temple of God by the Spirit? And living stones are being placed in it day by day or people are being redeemed. So as we think about the Holy Spirit, he seals us. That is, he shows God's ownership of us promises seals the promises but some other things the holy spirit does that are kind of important he indwells us you are the dwelling place of of god through the holy spirit he lives inside of you as this guarantee another thing the holy spirit does is he baptizes you into the church and so the holy spirit's work when he when he comes and he seals is that he baptizes you into this new family the holy spirit points us to truth, leads us to the beauty and glory of Jesus, John tells us. The Holy Spirit empowers us. As we think about the Spirit, He empowers us. He lives in us to give us the power to follow Jesus and to follow His ways. The Holy Spirit is operative just as the Father is operative and the Son is operative. They're all working in redemption. And so let's don't treat him like some stepchild of the Trinity. Like he's, you know, there's the Father and the Son and they're great and the Holy Spirit. We don't know exactly what to do with him. He is God. He is God, the Holy Spirit. He is God's means of coming inside and living inside of you. He is God's means of showing you himself in his word. So the Holy Spirit seals is what we're going to look at in this text. Notice the new section begins in him again. Just like everything else has begun in him. The work of the spirit is in our life because we are in Christ. The adoption is ours because we are in Christ. The redemption is ours because we are in Christ. And so in him, in verse 13, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed and believed in him were sealed. And so I want to make that verse real simple for you. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit when you heard and when you believed. Do you see that? All right, so there's a lot of words to fill that out, and we're going to go through them. But the basic simple concept, main verb, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. How were you sealed with the Holy Spirit or when? When you heard in faith and believed the gospel. And so notice this. He goes, uh, in him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now, this isn't talking about multiple hearings. This is talking about that very specific hearing of faith. Faith comes by hearing Hearing by the word of God. How shall they believe in him on whom they have not heard? And so this is the kind of hearing of faith that Romans 10 talks about. It's the kind of hearing, that special hearing where we are awakened from death to life and lost to saved. That's the kind of hearing he's talking about. What did you hear that made you alive? The word of truth. The word whose contents is truth. And if you think about the contrast of truth, truth as opposed to a lie. And as you think about the contrast of truth here, reality versus what is false. When you heard what is true, not what was a lie. When you heard what is real and not what is false, when you heard that, you were sealed. When you heard that and believed, you were sealed. And so when we look at the word of truth, it is absolute truth. And you don't read blogs and you don't read books and you don't listen to podcasts and you don't listen to pastors and then allow those pastors to judge the word of truth. It's not their job. Truth judges bloggers. Truth judges authors. Truth judges speakers. Truth judges pastors. It is the word of truth. Align with it or don't. But you don't get to say truth isn't true. And me believing it doesn't make it more true. And you not believing it doesn't make it any less true. You know what else doesn't change it? Popular opinion. We all are now enlightened. We all think this. And if we place it up to a vote and truth loses, does it become less true? Mm -mm. Truth has never been on the ballot. Truth doesn't get held up to elections, and it is not judged by how many people agree with it. It's judged by being true. And so you've been saved by a word of truth. You have been built your eternity on this word being truth. And so do not allow people to take pieces of that truth away from you. And I'm not doing that to preach to the choir. I know we're supposed to believe this stuff. I'm doing this because you you have to build your life on something. And if you don't build your life on the right thing, it will always shake. And if you don't build your life on the right thing, when it really comes down to it, it won't hold. And if I don't tell you this is the word of truth, and if I don't tell you that all of it's true, and I let you take peace after peace out of it, when the time comes to cling to something, you won't have anything to cling to. Your eternity is built on this book. The hope of your life is built on this book. The ability to walk through really hard stuff in this life is on this book. And don't let anybody take any pieces away from it for you. Because you are going to need it one day. And you're going to need it forever. You have been saved by the word of truth. And this word of truth judges every other truth. This word of reality is what is real. And no other reality can contradict it and be true. It's the gospel of your salvation. Do you see how intimately connected the gospel and truth are? Your salvation hinges on the truth of this word. Your salvation hinges on the goodness of God declared in this word. And so the content of truth is this gospel message. Who Jesus is. What Jesus has accomplished for you. The rescue mission of God through the blood of his son. And you heard that with faith. And what happened? You believed. I'm going to give you an English lesson, so don't tune out, okay? When we get to heard and we get to believed, we are dealing with past Active verbs. Okay, good. I could have gone all my life without ever knowing that. But here's why it matters. Hearing is an action that you take as a person. Faith, believing, is an action that you take as a person. And for those who are saved, it is a past action that has already been accomplished. And so, as we go through this text, and you see that God chose us to be holy and blameless, and we look at, He has predestined us to adoption as sons, and then we look at, we have been made His heritage by the predestination of God. God is sovereign. God chooses, God elects, God determines. But there's another truth in this equation, isn't there? Man's responsibility. You must hear, you must believe. And so the great debate we've had for 2,000 years now that God chose to let us go through is how does the responsibility of man to believe and the sovereignty of God to choose work together? And I really don't care how you work it out as long as you work it out humbly, as long as you love the people around you with this truth, as long as you are faithful. I don't care. I don't care if you work it out by he foreknew and He saved. I don't care if you work it out by by sovereign power he elects and brings. I don't care if you work it out by God operates within the world of providence to create the situation of optimal faith. However you want to work it out, that's fine. But work it out with a measure of humility because there is mystery to God that you'll never get. For all eternity, you'll learn about God, new things. And work it out in love because the people around you who follow Jesus and don't agree with you, Our dearly loved children of his, just like you are. So we're working out in love. That's what I care that we do. And then we can have great discussions and great debates. And we can sit around tables and talk about it all we want. As long as we do it with humility and love. All right. So the spirit we hear, we believe, and we're sealed. That is the stamp of God, I own you. And that's a good thing, by the way. It's not good to be owned by anything else, right? We totally disagree with that. But when God says, you're mine, that's an eternally good thing. When he seals you with his spirit and says, I own you and all the promises are yours. And I'm guaranteeing to come back for it. And he stamps his ring upon your life. You're mine. That's a good thing. He has sealed us. And he sealed us with the promised Holy Spirit. The spirit that was promised in Joel. Your young men will dream dreams and your young going will have visions. The spirit of God will pour out on all my people. He's the promised Holy Spirit and he's been given to you and he's been given to me as the stamp of God's ownership in our life You have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit and look what he does He guarantees he's the earnest money of our inheritance God says i'm going to give you heaven I'm going to give you my kingdom You're going to reign with me If you are brothers with christ adopted, then you will be co-heirs with christ and all that belongs to christ You will be an equal heir with him And you will have this place of heaven with no sorrow, tears, death, dying, sickness. You'll have that. It's yours. And then he puts heaven inside of you in the Holy Spirit. And he says, this is the first installment of heaven that will be yours forever. This is the first installment of God's kingdom that will be yours forever. This is the first installment, the first payment that the payments will be guaranteeing the payments will be made as long as they are needed for all eternity. You have been sealed with this Holy Spirit as a taste of heaven now, as a taste of divine reality coming, breaking into your life now. And it promises you that it will all be yours then. As long as the Holy Spirit has sealed you, all that is true of, guaranteed by God and his promises will be true of you forever. You are sealed. He is the guarantee of our inheritance until when? Until the redemption of it. The acquiring till the redemption of it. The price has been paid until the final work of redemption is accomplished in your life. He guarantees, he holds God's word over your life as a promise and a guarantee that it will be yours. Until it all is ours. And it's happened and we acquire it. Why would he do it? Why would he seal us with the spirit? By the way, that's not a second blessing. It's when you hear, when you believe, Spirit. That's the operation. As soon as you are believers, as soon as you are saved, Spirit is yours. And He seals you to the praise of His glory. Why would He put the Spirit in you for the praise of His glory? Why would He rescue you for the praise of His glory? Why would the Father and the Son and the Spirit work out this amazing salvation that leads to the blessing of God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? So that we, his people, who are sealed with his spirit, would live and enjoy and rejoice in the praise of his majesty and his worth on display. That we would be people who praise his perfections, who praise his worth. And so I want you to, well, let's go. A couple of practical things. We'll wrap it up with that. A couple of practical things. First, recount reasons to praise. I want you to hold Jesus up before your soul until your soul actually delights in him. I want you to hold the father up before your soul until joy is actually the response. Blessing is actually the response. I was reading in Psalms uh, uh, a week or so ago, actually, as I was preparing this message. And in Psalm six, it says, be gracious to me for my soul is languishing. So maybe you're hearing these truths and you're like, eh, I'm a little bored. Eh, that's too heady for me. I'm adopted. Yeah, that's good. I'll stick that away in my theological file cabinet. Oh, I'm holy. Great. Big deal. And our souls just tend to shrivel like that sometimes, don't they? And what is eternally precious doesn't feel very precious to us. And that's where we get sometimes. And so what is the remedy? Work harder? Mm Mm-mm. What is the remedy? Read a little more Bible? Well, you should, but that's not the remedy. What is the remedy? It is a simple prayer. Be gracious to me. For my soul was languishing. The grace of God is the only remedy for a soul that doesn't care about the grace of God. The grace of God is the only remedy for a soul that has shrunken down and gotten tired and gotten into a routine and gotten into religious stuff and legalism. The only remedy is the grace of God to make Jesus precious to your soul again. And so you recount the things before your heart over and over again and ask this simple prayer. God, be gracious to me. Make this matter to me again. Recount the praiseworthiness of God. Recount the reasons to praise God. And eventually, you know what will happen? God will be gracious to you. And a soul that's shriveled in the desert will become a soul that has lush rivers running through it. Be gracious to me. Second, show and share Jesus. Did you notice how his believing is tied to hearing? So the implication is, if they must hear in faith, somebody must share in faith. And so you must share Jesus as well as show Jesus. Yes, we want to adorn the gospel. Yes, we want to make the gospel look as beautiful as we can in our lives. But do not ever think that we can bring people to Jesus without sharing Jesus with them. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes because somebody speaks. And so our, our application all year long, serve and share with two. Our application all year long is serve and share with two. It's this text. How will they believe if They don't hear. How will they hear if someone doesn't declare? The only break possible is that his people will keep their mouths shut. And we'll be nice. And we'll invite them to church. And we'll do church together. And it'll be great. But we won't open our mouths to show the beauty of a specific Jesus to the specific places and brokenness and joys of specific people. Show him, yes. Adorn the gospel, yes. And then open your mouth to say what he's like. Last, build your life on the gospel word. Believe it, read it, meditate on it. Do not let anyone have one piece of it to take out of your life. Build your life on this word. And you know what? If you do, it'll hold. It'll be like the life built on a rock when storms come and hurricanes come and winds come. It stands, and it won't be like the house that has been built on sand that Jesus talks about. And the storm comes and the sandy roads, and the wind comes and the sandy roads, and then your life collapses. If you'll build your life on this word, it'll stand when it needs to. It'll hold up when it needs to. And that's why I'm so passionate that you love it and believe it and read it and meditate on it and get in our, in our reading plan. And you talk about it with other believers and you go deeper with ones Because your life stands on this word eternally. And so will your life stand when it matters? It comes down to this book. Let's pray. So Father, we love you. We desire that our souls bless you and we realize our souls don't always bless you. And so we want to declare to our soul, bless God, who has chosen us to be holy and declared us holy. And he's chosen us to be without any defect whatsoever. We want to tell our souls, God, bless God. He has adopted you through his son. Bless God. He has redeemed you by his blood. Bless God. He's given you the forgiveness of sins. Bless God, soul. Bless God, because He is working to unite all things back to Him. Bless God, soul, because He has made us a heritage. Bless God, because He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray for myself, and I pray for my brothers and sisters throughout this room. Be gracious to us, for we languish. Be gracious to us, because we don't See the beauty of this beauty. And we've got to have your help to do that. We've got to have your grace to do that. So we pray, Father, that you would do it in us. In Jesus' name, amen.